Good morning. How's everybody doing? Amen. Hey, listen, uh, man, I'm Zach. If you're new here to the church, uh, I'm the pastor here, and I'm so glad you're here um, as we're continuing our series called Daring Faith, the Key to Miracles. Uh, we're in the midst of a, a season of time in our church where uh, we are focusing on three things specifically uh, when it comes to faith. We're focusing on growing in faith. We're focused on sowing in faith, which is also the same thing as giving in faith, and we're focused on going in faith. And so throughout this series, we um, are looking at God and asking God to grow our faith in, in ways that maybe he's never done before, and we're pressing in. And we talked last week that whenever we take a step toward God and we commit ourselves to God and we get serious about what God wants for our life, that we have a spiritual enemy and that enemy will come and he will try to distract us. He will try to disrupt us, to discourage us. And we said, listen, we don't have to be afraid of that, but we need to be aware because if we're going to press in on this, some things are going to come your way. Some things are going to happen and, uh, and they're going to derail you perhaps if you're not careful. And I know this, that in my own life, I had a very challenging week. And I, I believe this, that the enemy wants me to get discouraged. And so I don't know about you, but maybe this week was one of those weeks where you kind of walked out and said, man, this daring faith thing is awesome. God's doing these great things in my life. And then it just seemed like life got really hard really quickly. Um, here's the thing. If that's you, listen, don't give up. Don't be discouraged. Keep having faith and keep having hope because God is up to something. When, when we face difficulty, we face discouragement, we face opposition, it's because we are making a move in our lives closer to God. And so we need to have that perspective. So I want to encourage you to do that this morning. Hey, I also want to encourage you to do this. Um, we are in the midst of a season where we are believing God is going to do some miraculous things. Now, we define what a miracle was. A miracle is when God makes possible that which without him is impossible. And I can't tell you guys already this morning, hearing some different stories about what God is doing in your lives and what he's doing in my life. It's so encouraging. And we're going to be sharing some of these stories with you throughout the course of this campaign. But we also want to hear what God is doing in you currently. And so we want you to tell us your story. Um, and we want you to do that in a couple ways. One is you can send an email to riverclubstories at gmail.com. Everything's confidential. Everything, it's our, it's our staff team and, uh, and kind of our one volunteer kind of helping to, to look at that. So you can send us your story. We'd love to hear what God's doing. Also, there's some forms out at Campaign Central, uh, the table out in the lobby where you can find all the information you can and you want to know about Daring Faith. Um, there's some forms out there for you to take. If you're more like, hey, I just need to write this down today, I'll forget to email. Stop by there. Share your story with us. We would love to get a chance to hear what God's doing in your life, all right? Because God is doing some miraculous things. And the reason why we share stories is because when God shows up in your life, in a spectacular way, it gives me confidence that God can do the same for me when I go through a hard time. That's why stories are so important. And so I want to encourage you to do that. Second thing, next thing before we jump in today is if you are a part of one of our Daring Faith small groups, um, you know that one of the things that we're doing and we're introducing every week in there is a verse out of the Bible to memorize throughout the next week. And so we're coming up on the second week starting this week. And so hopefully you've been memorizing Matthew 9, 29 which says, according to your faith, will it be done to you? Now, it's the first week, and so I'm going to give you a little bit of a break. If maybe you didn't memorize that, we're going to do it together this morning, right? So this is the time where I need a little participation from the class, okay? So let's read this together. 
No, go ahead and keep it up there right now. All right. Uh, we'll take it away in a minute. All right. Um, all right. We're going to say this together. According to your faith, will it be done to you? Matthew 9, 29. Okay. Say it again. Leave it up there. Say it again. Leave it up there. Okay. According to your faith, let it be done to you. Matthew 9, 29. All right. Take it away. Now we're going to tell you together. Okay. According to your faith, will it be done to you? Matthew 9, 29. Listen, there are some bookmarks out at Campaign Central that have all these verses. So if you're not in a group or you want one of these, grab one of those too. That verse is the theme of daring faith. It's that God blesses our lives according to our faith. That if we have big faith and great faith and a lot of faith, then God works in our life in big, great, and many different ways. But if we have a little bit of faith, then God's only gonna work in our lives a little bit of ways. And if we have no faith, then we can't expect God to really work in our life. Because according to our faith, it will be done to us. And so today we want to continue looking at how do we grow in our faith? How do we grow in our faith in a way that then allows us to give and to sow in faith and then to go and live out our faith? And we're going to talk about just this idea of how do we give God our best? I, I was thinking about this last night. And I had to go, I had to Google this because I couldn't remember which company this was. But there was a, there's a slogan that says this, when you care enough to sin the very best. When you care enough to sin the very best. Anybody know what that is? Hallmark, right? I had to Google it. I was like, I know this is something. I don't think I'm making it up. And so I Googled it. It's Hallmark. The Hallmark, the card company and the, the stores. Do you know that that company this past year made a revenue of $3.7 billion dollars? Selling cards and gifts and little collectible things. $3.7 billion. They're the 143rd largest privately owned company in the United States. And their whole ethos, their whole drive is, is that when you care to give the very best, you choose Hallmark. And, and what they're saying is, is that sometimes there's things in life that require us to give our very best. And I can think of nothing better, nothing more pertinent, nothing more important to give our very best to than our faith in Jesus Christ, our, our relationship with God. And the Bible talks to us about, listen, this reality that it's important that we give God our best. Look at 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. If you don't have your message notes out, go ahead and get them out and take some notes this morning. And all the verses are going to be there on the screen as well. 2 Peter 1, 5 through 8. Paul write, or Peter writes this, do your very best to improve your faith. So he says, do your very best to improve your faith. You can do this by adding goodness, understanding, self-control, patience, devotion to God, concern for others, and love. If you keep growing in this way, it will show that what you know about our Lord Jesus Christ has made your lives useful and meaningful. So if you want to have a life that is useful, that is meaningful, then we need to learn to give God our very best. See, spiritual growth, growing in faith, it's a partnership. God is the one who grows our faith. God is the one who changes our lives. But we have certain responsibilities and certain things that we can do that partner with God to help our faith grow. And so we need to do our very best to improve and to grow in our faith. Look at Proverbs 3, 9 through 10. It says, honor God with everything you give or everything you own. Give him the first and the best. Then your barns will burst and your wine vats will brim over. So, so the Bible says this, that we are to give God our very best. We're to give God first. We're not supposed to give God the leftovers. We're supposed to give God what we would give the special guest who comes to our house. 
Listen, we might give our family leftovers on Wednesday night, but if a special guest was coming, chances are you're not going to give them leftovers. You're going to give them the best that you can because they're your honored guest. And God does not deserve our leftovers. He deserves our best. And so the Bible says we should give first and give the best. Not what's left of our time, what's left of our money or left of our energy, but we should give him the very best. Second Timothy 2.15 says this, concentrate on doing your best for God. That this needs to be something that we focus on, that we concentrate on, because it's not just going to come naturally. We have to be intentional about giving God our best. And so today what I want to talk to you about is this idea, and this is the big idea for today, is that daring faith, to have daring faith, is choosing to give God my best. That if we want to really live daring faith, if we want to live faith that, that it's just different than just kind of this, this mundane, different than kind of this casual faith in God, we want to live our lives with meaning and purpose and vitality. If we want to have daring faith, then we've got to learn that daring faith is choosing to give God our best. And listen, this is not just a message in a campaign about money. Now we talked last week that we want to grow in faith. We want to sow in faith, which is give. And we're going to have an offering later on in the campaign and a, and a pledge because I believe God wants to grow our faith through generosity. But it's not just about money. It's about us giving our lives, the very best of our lives to God because he deserves our best. Well, what I'm going to talk to you about today is this, is how do I give God my best? So how do we do it? Let's assume that we all say, hey, you know, I want to give God my best. I want to be the best follower of Jesus I can be. I want my life to have meaning and purpose, and I want to obey God. I want to honor God. I believe God has given me so much. He's blessed me with so much. I want to do that. Or maybe you're here today, and you're like, I don't know what I believe about God. I'm not, I'm not certain what I believe about who God is, who Jesus is, but I'm interested. I want to know more. Well, God is worth giving our very best. So how do we do that? Well, look at 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 7. Paul's writing to a young pastor, a young leader, a guy named Timothy. And he's saying, listen, Timothy, if you want to live your life, if you want to give God your very best, you need to learn from three different examples, three different illustrations. And let's look at this. He says, endure hardship with us like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No one serving as a soldier gets tied up in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Similarly, anyone who competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules. And the hardworking farmers should be the first to receive a share of the crops. Think about these three illustrations. So he says, okay, listen, think about the soldier, the good soldier. Think about an athlete and a hardworking farmer. He says, think about these three illustrations. And the Lord will help you to understand how they apply to you. So Paul says, Timothy, I want to share with you. I want you to look at three different examples. I want you to look at the soldier. I want you to look at an athlete. And I want you to look at a farmer. Because when you, what you can learn from their lives will help you know how you can give God your very best. And I want to share that with you today. Three different lessons that we can learn from these three different examples. So write this down. The first example and the first lesson is that of the soldier. It's that of the soldier. Now, I didn't grow up in a military community or a military area. Um, I didn't know a lot about the military growing up. I didn't know, I didn't know a lot of people in the military growing up. And when we, we moved to Stafford, Virginia, a little over 11 years ago, 
we moved into a, a military town, a military area. I know many in our church, some of you are actively serving in the military now. Many of you have served in the military. And, and I tell you, the more I learn about the military, the more I learn about those who serve our country and our armed forces, the more I respect them, the more I admire them, the more I look up to them. And I look up to them as examples in our lives. And, and Paul wanted to point out the same thing because so often they are the ones who I think give their best. They're the ones who sacrifice the most. They're the ones who model for us. What does it really mean to, to give my best for something bigger than just myself? And, and so I think there's three things we can learn from the soldier. The first one is this, is if we want to give God our best like a soldier does, we need to, to de- decide or define what we die for. That I need to define what I would die for. See, there are certain things in this life that are more valuable and more important than others. There are some things that we care about. There are some things that we enjoy. But then there are some things that we would die for, that we would give our life for. And soldiers understand this because they risk their life every single day. They put themselves in harm's way because there are things that they believe are worth dying for. That freedom is worth dying for. That that family is worth dying for. That friends are worth dying for. That their faith and that the freedom to practice their faith these are things that are worth dying for. And we all have these things in our life, these things that we not just consider important, but the things that, listen, we would be willing to give our life for. We'd be willing to give ourselves for. And Jesus talked about this. Jesus said this in John 15, 13, that there's no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. He said, listen, there's no greater priority. There's no greater commitment. There's no greater love than to give yourself for somebody else. He says that you need to understand who and what you would die for. You need to define in your life what is so important and what is most important. What's so important that you would be willing to sacrifice, that you would be willing to even give your life for. And see, the reason why it's important is because if we want to know what we're going to live for, we need to first decide and define what we would die for. Because what we would die for will affect how we live our life. Because if we're willing to die for something, then we live our life differently because of that thing that we're willing to die for. It's the idea, listen, we have to determine what's most important in our life. And Jesus says, listen, that that you have to do that. And for him, Jesus said, what's most important for me is that I obey my Father, God in heaven, that I give my life as this example of this sacrifice for the world so that all those who would put their faith and their trust in me and Jesus can have their sins forgiven and they can be brought into an eternal life in relationship with God that begins here on earth and goes into eternity. He says that's what's most important. And a soldier has to define what are they willing to die for. Second thing is this, is that if we're gonna be like a soldier, we have to learn to sacrifice our comfort. That if we want to give our best, I must sacrifice my comfort. See, one of the things I respect and one of the reasons why I think our, our military families should be honored as, as much as I do and much as we can is because of the sacrifices that they make. Listen, we all make sacrifices, but I think they make sacrifices on a different level at sometimes. You know, they sacrifice their comfort. So often doing what they do puts them in uncomfortable situations, uncomfortable living conditions. That they go out and go where they need to go regardless of the environment that's around them. They give up their comfort of home to go and, and serve and do what needs to be done. They give up their free schedule. 
You know, their life's not really their own. If they have to deploy, they have to move, they have to do something, they have to be flexible and willing to respond. They have to do what's required. You know, I think many, they give up wealth because no soldier goes into the military to get rich, right? And so they, they maybe give up a career they could have had, a place they could have gone after, and they choose, the, hey, listen, this is the career path that I'm gonna take. And I think this is a big one. They, they give up family and family time. I know people personally who have missed moments in the life of their family because at that moment, their service and their commitment required them to be away from family at that time. And they give up these comforts. And why do they do this? They do it because they believe in the greater purpose and the greater mission that they're a part of. Well, the Bible says this in 2 Timothy 2, 3 through 7. He says, for we are to endure hardship like a good soldier of Christ Jesus. So like a good soldier has to sacrifice their comfort at times. If we're going to give God our best, sometimes we are going to have to sacrifice our comfort. We're going to have to choose a life that may have some difficulties because that is what will happen when we choose to follow Jesus and put him first in our life. That there's going to be times where we're going to have to sacrifice. We're going to have to give up something that we might enjoy for something more meaningful. You know, sometimes I think we're held back in our faith because we're holding on tighter to the comforts of life than we are to Jesus. Like sometimes we're held back in our faith and what God wants to do in and through us because we're holding so tightly to the comforts of life that we're not able to hold tightly to Jesus. And so we need to be people who understand that we at times in following Jesus, we're gonna have to sacrifice our comfort. And we do that because there's a greater purpose and a mission, something that we were willing to give our lives to and for. Third thing is this, is that we learn from soldiers that we must eliminate distractions. That we must eliminate distractions. Look at 2 Timothy 2, 4, what Paul writes. He says, no one serving as a soldier gets tied up in civilian affairs. He wants to please his commanding officer. Well, what's Paul talking about? Paul's saying, listen, that when your commanding officer says go, you have to go. When it's time to, 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 to move, when it's time to mobilize, when it's time to go and, and fulfill your calling and your duty as a good soldier, you have to go do that. You don't tell your CO, hey, I've got a tea time. Can I not do this? Right? Or you know what? Dancing with the Stars is on. And I really want to see who gets eliminated. Right? No. They have flexibility and the freedom to move. They, they've organized and structured their life to know, listen, that when the commanding officer says go, they've got to be willing to go. Well, as a follower of Jesus, God is like our commanding officer. And if we want to be a good soldier of Christ, if we want to give God our best, we have to be flexible and willing to, to, to change maybe our plans and go the direction God is calling us to go. And so what's hard about that is that there's so much about life that is not as important, but we make so important. And so what are those things that, you know, aren't really as important in life that we've made so important that it's hard for us to let go of? You know, how much of our time is invested in things that aren't going to matter five years from now, much less for eternity? How much of our energy is invested in those same things? How much of our money is invested in these things that aren't gonna last? 
And then when God says, I want you to, to, to follow me and do this, to leverage your faith and leverage what I've given you in this direction, we say, well, I, I can't because I'm so focused on all these other things that don't matter quite as much. Paul says, if we want to be a person who gives God our best, that we've got to make sure that we're focused on what God says are the most important things. You know, there's three things that I believe are going to last into eternity that the Bible teaches us. The, the first one is this, it's people. That we all are eternal beings. That when life on this earth ends, we will spend eternity in one of two places, either with God or apart from God. And so people matter, not just now, but they matter for eternity. The second is a relationship with God. That our relationship with God or lack of relationship with God, it will carry on into eternity. And the third is the kingdom of God, the mission of God, the purpose of God. And so if we're going to dedicate ourselves to anything that lasts into eternity, it's people. It's our relationship with God and it's the, the movement of God, the mission of God and the kingdom of God. And so Paul says, listen, learn these things from a soldier. Learn that you've got to define what you're going to die for. You've got to be willing at times to sacrifice your comfort and you've got to eliminate the distractions that will keep you from giving your best to God. So what is it that we need to let go of that we need to maybe put aside so that we can really focus on God and what he wants for us? Second lesson he gives is this, is the lesson and the example of an athlete. The Bible uses the analogy of an athlete to describe and talk about the life of a follower of Jesus more. It's the second most commonly used example, second most commonly used illustration or analogy. Because sports back in that day were, were popular just like today. And there are lessons that we can learn from sports then and lessons we can learn from sports today. And Paul says that, listen, there, there's really three things that we need to understand. And he says it in this way, 1 Corinthians 9, 24 through 27. says, in a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a ribbon or a medal that won't last. But we do it for an eternal reward, one that will last forever. So I run straight to the goal with purpose in every step. I fight to win. I'm not just shadow boxing or playing around. Like an athlete, I discipline myself, making sacrifices and training my body to do what it should, not what it wants to do. Otherwise, I fear I might be disqualified from the race. So Paul says, listen, there's three things that we can learn from an athlete if we want to be a person that gives God our best. The first one is this, is a good athlete does this and we need to do the same, that we must intend to win. That we must intend to win. Listen, we live in a culture, and you can agree with this or disagree with this, that says everybody's a winner. And we don't want kids, we don't want you know, people to feel like, hey, you know, they, they, they lost a game or they lost a, a competition or they lost something. So everybody's a winner. But here's the, the challenge with that is I've probably learned more lessons in my life when I came out on the losing side of something and had to pick myself back up and realize that I had to do better next time or I had to learn from my mistakes than I did from ever just being told I was a winner. But because, listen, when you compete, the natural drive is what? Is that you want to win. And a great athlete, a good athlete, they intend to win. And we need to intend, as, as followers of Christ, we want to win when it comes to our faith. We want to win when it comes to our life, that we want to do our best and, and experience the best. We want to give our best. Listen, what's the difference between a casual Christian and a committed Christian? 
What's the difference between a casual Christian and a committed Christian? Is there really a difference? Well, let me ask you this question. What's the difference between a casual golfer and a competitive golfer? Right? A, a competitive golfer, what's, what do they do differently than a casual golfer? Somebody that just wants to kind of go out and they just like being outside with the buddies. You know what I mean? Well, it's about focus. It's about commitment. It's about dedication and discipline. Listen, a competitive golfer, or put in whatever sport you know most about, a competitive athlete, they dedicate themselves. They practice. They learn. They go to win. They get upset when they don't win or they don't do their best. They, they, they approach the, the situation differently. And so how committed are you? How committed are we at being the, the people that God has created us to be? Because the difference between a committed Christian and a casual Christian, it all comes down to how do we approach God's call in our life? Listen, if we just want to kind of be a casual weekend Christian, if we want to grow in our faith and invest in our faith in our spare time and kind of as we can and, and really if I get around to it, that's fine, then we're never going to be the person that gives God our best. Because it requires that we intend to win, that we intentionally focus our life around becoming the person that God has called us to be. Look at 1 Corinthians 9, 24. It says, in a race, everyone runs, but only one person wins the prize. So run your race to win. Live your life to be the best follower of Jesus you can be. Commit to doing the things that will partner with the power of God in your life and will grow your faith that will grow your generosity, that will grow your obedience. If we want to give God our best, we have to intend to win. Here's the reality. Some people are never going to be a great person. Some people are never going to be a committed Christian. They're never going to grow in their faith. They're never going to be the person God intended them to be. They're never going to be the best man or woman that they could possibly be. And the reason why is that they never intended to be. They never intended to be. Listen, becoming a person that gives God their best, it doesn't just happen. It's something we have to pursue. First Timothy 6, 12 says this, run your best in the race of life and win the eternal life for yourself. For this is the life that God called you to when you profess your faith before many witnesses. He says, listen, here's the prize. The prize is life with God. The prize is a relationship with God, a full life a life of blessing and, and promise both now and into eternity. That's the prize that we go after. But we only go after the prize if we intend to go after the prize. See, if we want to give God our best, we have to intend to win. Second thing is this, is like a good athlete, we have to discipline ourselves. I must discipline my Self. Good athletes excel because they choose to be disciplined. They can't just do what they want, how they want, when they want. They can't let their moods or their feelings or their convenience dictate their lives. There's no shortcuts to being a great athlete. Yes, some have natural talent and ability, but what makes a, a, a talented athlete, a great athlete, is not just sitting on their talent, but it's actually doing something with their talent. Same thing is true for a follower of Jesus. Look at 2 Timothy 2.5. It says, similarly, if anyone competes as an athlete, he does not receive the victor's crown unless he competes according to the rules, unless he or she does what is necessary in order to win the prize. 
Look at verse 9, 25 and 27 out of 1 Corinthians. To win the contest, you must deny yourselves many things that would keep you from doing your best. An athlete goes to all this trouble just to win a ribbon or a medal that won't last. But we do it for an eternal reward that will last forever. So I discipline my body like an athlete, training it to do what it should, not what it wants to do. So Paul says, listen, if we're going to go after this, it's going to require some discipline. We're going to have to train ourselves to grow in our faith. We're going to have to do the things that are required to grow, that we need to do to grow. And we do it not like an athlete who does it for a temporary reward and and prize, but we do it for an eternal reward. You know, every time the Olympics come up, you know, there's all these stories about these Olympians and their training methods. And, And one of the ones that's always stuck with me is Michael Phelps. Now, Michael Phelps, I believe, is probably the greatest athlete, right, um, in the Olympic game history. Now, we, you know, listen, his, his story has been one that has a lot of ups and downs. And there's been things that I like about his story that I think he's been a good example in and things that he, maybe he hasn't as much been, just like your story and my story. But there's one thing you can't deny about Michael Phelps is you can't deny that he's a disciplined person who trains to win. I was looking at this last night. I was just kind of looking at some, some stories that I'd read before. Here's what Michael Phelps does to train on kind of an average time. He swims 50 miles a week, 50 miles a week. It's crazy. He trains two times a day, five to six hours per day, six days a week. And he he includes weight training three times a week as well. And this isn't just like swimming, but it's various different exercises. And so he, he, he spends his life, right, doing what needs to be done so his body becomes positioned and disciplined and healthy so that he can go after the prize. And as crazy as that is, what's even crazier is his diet. Because in order to do all the stuff he has to do, he has to consume 12,000 calories a day. 4,000 calories at every meal. Here's a typical breakfast for Michael Phelps. It's three fried egg sandwiches with cheese, lettuce, tomatoes, fried onions, and mayonnaise. He then drinks two cups of coffee, then consumes a five-egg omelet, a bowl of grits, three slices of French toast with powdered sugar, and three chocolate chip pancakes. Now, I know some of you are kind of like, I don't want to do the swimming part, but I could do some pancakes, right? You're like, I could probably do that. But listen, have you ever done one of those diets where like you have to eat every three hours, right? Or like you're, you're on this thing where you, if you have to consume a certain amount of food and you have to do that for a season of time. I tried that one time. I got so tired of eating because it wasn't like for enjoyment I was eating. It was because I was disciplined. And part of the problem for so many of us, me included, is that, that food's not about fuel. Food's about flavor, right? And it's about what tastes good. It's about enjoyment. Well, it's like, listen, he's eating this much because that's the fuel that he needs to pursue the prize he's going after. And we have to be just as disciplined in our life. And so listen, he had to give up certain things in order to have this schedule. He had to give up certain things in order to to, to have this diet. And so he had to let go of certain things to take hold of what was more important to him. So what are the things that we can do without? What are the things that we can give up so we can spend more time with God? So we can give more to God. We can serve more for God and we can be more of who God wants us to be. Listen, if we want to give God our best, we have to discipline ourselves. Discipline ourselves. Third is this, and this is the only way that discipline's ever going to work, is we have to stay focused on 
the reward. We have to stay focused on the reward. Why are we doing what we're doing? Why are we sacrificing? Why are we not following our, 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 our natural desires at times? Why are we saying no to certain things? Well, it's because of the, the reward that we're going after. One of my favorite movie series is, is, are the Rocky movies. I like all but one of them, right? One of them's okay, but the rest of them are pretty cool. And one of the things that, that I remembered, I was thinking about this this week about Rocky was, in at least one of the movies, I remember him doing this, that when it came time to train, he would always put pictures up on the mirror of his bedroom. And so in Rocky Four, where he's fighting the big Russian guy, he, he puts a picture of, uh, of the Russian guy on the mirror and he has a picture of his family and I think Apollo Creed's on there and it's all the things that matter to him. But he would always put the, the picture of the, the opponent that was coming his way because he wanted to focus on what was before him. He wanted to focus on the reward he was going after. And when he would get up in the morning and he would down the glass of raw eggs, which is disgusting, right? And he would do that and he would get up and it's cold and he's fixing to run like 15 miles in Converse, which I can't walk five miles in Converse, right? It's the worst shoe ever for athletic stuff. But anyway, it's like he's going to do this and he looks in the mirror and what is he, what is he reminded of? Why? And see, sometimes the reason why willpower doesn't work in our life is because we focus on our ability. We don't focus on the reward and the God who is calling us and empowering us to get to that reward. And so if we're gonna live for God and give him our best, we've gotta keep focus on the reward. Look at Hebrews 12 too. It says, keep your eyes on Jesus who both began and finished this race we're in. Study how he did it because he never lost sight of where he was headed. That exhilarating finish in and with God. He could put up with anything along the way and he did, Jesus did this. The cross, shame, whatever. And now he's there in the place of honor, right alongside God. You see, when we keep the focus of why we live for God, why we serve God before us, it motivates us and gives us the ability we need to discipline ourselves and to go after what's most important. But if we take our eyes off of why and we become focused on the surroundings, on what we would like to do, what we feel like doing, then it's gonna keep us from giving God ultimately our best. Because here's the thing, following Jesus is hard. It's hard. I, I said this before, but I think sometimes the church, we do a disservice to new followers of Jesus, new Christians. And we kind of present this, not, not, not meaning to for, for, for most of it, we would present this like, if you'll just trust in Jesus, if you'll follow Jesus, then what we end up feeling like we're saying is, is that your life is gonna get great. And yes, it does in many ways, but like many of us have experienced is that there are times when following Jesus is downright hard. It's hard. We're, we, we have to give up things. We face difficulty. We face discouragement. We face opposition. We face people in our lives not understanding. And when those times come, the, the way we make it through is by keeping our focus on Jesus, by not giving up. An athlete always keeps the focus on the reward that they're going after. Now, the last one that Paul talks about is the farmer. So he says, listen, you can learn from a soldier you can learn from an athlete. You can also learn from a farmer. Let's look at what he says in 2 Corinthians 9, 6 through 13. It says, remember this, 
A farmer who plants only a few seeds will get a small crop, but the one who plants generously will get a generous crop. You must each make up your own mind as how much you should give. Don't give reluctantly or in response to pressure, for God loves a person who gives cheerfully. Then God will generously provide all you need, and you will always have everything you need and plenty left over to share with others. For God is the one who gives the seed to the farmer and then the bread to eat. In the same way, he will give you many opportunities to do good, and he will produce a great harvest of generosity in you. Yes, you will be enriched so that you can give even more generously. You'll be glorifying God through your generous gifts and your generosity will prove you are obedient to the good news of Christ. Listen, there's so much in this passage, but here's the summary of what Paul's saying. He's saying, you're like a farmer and you're planting your field, you're planting your, your, your garden. And the, the 60, 70, 80, 90, 100 years that you might have on this earth you're planting your, your field. You're sowing your seed. You're investing in certain things. And he says that when you invest in the things of God, when you invest the, the, the seed of, uh, of, of righteousness and giving God your best, then, then you're going to grow a crop. You're going to grow a harvest. That's not a harvest for simply life on earth, but it's a, an eternal harvest, a, a heavenly harvest, a, a heavenly reward. And that, that we need to remember that when we give to God, when we serve God, we give our time, we give our talent, we give our money, we give our passions, we, when, we, when we give to God and we give our best, that God says that he will bless us based upon how we give, how we sow. That if we plant generously, if we sow generously, if we give of ourselves generously, then we will return a harvest that is generous and plentiful. Now, for some of us, like we hear that and we, we, we've grown up in, in, a, in, a, in church settings or maybe kind of our own beliefs where we're kind of like, okay, Zach, I, I don't like going there because I don't give in order to get. Like that's, not, that's the wrong motivation. I, I don't, I don't want to be kind of that health, wealth, prosperity gospel that, that I give so that I can get. Listen, I understand your struggle, but here's what God says. He says that if we give, if we sow generously, we're going to reap generously. If we give generously, we're going to receive generously. Now, what the, the, the difference is this, is that sometimes and often, maybe the things that we're sowing, the things that we're planting, they don't come to us back necessarily always on this earth. They come back to us in heaven and this heavenly reward. But also God does show up in our life and God does provide for us here on this earth. But listen to what Paul says right here. He doesn't do it so that we can then become rich and we can hoard things and amass things and make it all about us. He says this, he says in the same way, he's gonna give us opportunities to do good and he'll produce a great harvest in you. Well, why is God gonna give you a great harvest? So that you'll be enriched for this reason. So that you can give even more generously. See, we don't give to God so God can give back to us for our own benefit. God will provide what we need, but when God blesses us as we are blessing others, it's in turn then so that we can then take what he's given us now and we can turn that back to blessing other people as well. That's why there's no problem with us saying, listen, God, I'm giving, I'm sacrificing, I'm sowing these seeds of faith, these seeds of commitment. And God, I'm proclaiming that you said that you're gonna, I'm gonna reap a harvest. 
And we can do that because if we are generous in how we're giving, we'll be generous when we receive to give again. Because it's not about us. See, the, the farmer, when he sows the seed and reaps a great harvest, that harvest is not just for him. He takes that harvest again and uses the seeds to plant even more. And so that's how God grows our generosity. But here's what Paul says. Listen, is that any time that we plant a seed of generosity, God will show up. God will reveal himself. And it's not just money. Let me say that again. It's not just about giving money. That when you help someone, you're planting a seed of generosity. When you serve someone, you're planting a seed of generosity. When you give your time, when you give your abilities to be used by God. And then if we want to give God our best, if we want to reap a great harvest, if we want God to do these amazing things in and through our life, then here's what I want you to write down. We must learn from the farmer that we must plant generously in faith. That if we want to see God do incredible things, we have to be willing to invest so God can do incredible things. If we want God to bless us as we give and provide for us and and trust us to help us become even more generous and to have more ability to help people, then we need to give and sow those seeds so that God can bless us both here and in eternity. So Paul says, if you want to give your best, look to the soldier, look to the athlete, look to the farmer, look at their lives and learn from them. And I want to end with two promises. Because What Jesus tells us is this, is that when you and and when I, when we step out in faith and we give God our best, he responds back to us with his best. Look at this, Luke 6, 38. It says, give and you will receive. Your gift will return to you in full, pressed down, shaken together to make room for more, running over and pouring into your lap. The amount that you give will determine the amount that you get back. The more that you give your best to God, the more God will bless your life. The more that you give to God your time, your talent, your your money, your abilities, the more God will use those things to to grow your faith and to, to expand his kingdom and to change the lives of the people. The more that we choose to trust God and give God our best, the more that God can use us and God can bless us. Because why? Because according to your faith, it will be done to you. According to your faith, it will be done to you. And what I want for you as a pastor, what I want for me as, 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 a, as a person, as a Christian is, is I want to be a person that says, listen, I am investing my life in the things of God. So he's responding with blessings so I can in turn then invest back to God. And it's this cycle of God using me, God using us, God using this church to focus on the things that are going to matter for eternity. In Mark ten twenty nine, Jesus says this. Let me assure you that no one has ever given up anything, a home, brothers, sisters, mother, father, children, or property for the love of me and to tell others the good news who won't be given back a hundred times over homes, brothers, sisters, children, and land. It says all these will be his here on earth and in the world to come, he shall have eternal life. Listen, Jesus says, if you will give to me what you sacrifice for me, it says it will be returned to you a hundred times over. Jesus says that. Both here on this earth 
and for eternity in heaven. Is there any other broker, any other financial investor who has that promise? It says, listen, if you invest in me, if you let me invest in the things you have, I promise you a return of 100%, a hundredfold. Jesus says, no. Listen, if you want to give, invest your life, do it for me. The soldier, the athlete, and the farmer reveal to us what it means to give God our best. And here's the takeaway. Here's what I want to leave you with today. It's this question. What do I need to give up in order to gain something more? What do I need to be willing to give up, to let go of, to gain something more? Because see, if we're going to be like the soldier, we have to be willing to sacrifice our comfort because of what we believe is most important. We have to be willing to eliminate the distractions. If we're going to be like the, if we're be like the athlete, we have to be willing to, uh, to discipline ourselves. And sometimes that discipline will require that we let go of certain things that keep us focused in a different direction than on the things of God. And as a farmer, if we invest in, teaches, if we invest in the right things, then God will return to us the right things. So what is holding you back today? What is limiting what you're willing to give, how you're willing to serve, how you're willing to pray, the time you're willing to spend with God? the commitment you have to a local church, what is holding you back and what could God be asking you to let go of today? See, daring faith is choosing to give God our best. Are you giving God your best? Are we giving God our best? As I was preparing this week, I couldn't think of a better way to end this message than with the Lord's Supper, with communion. You see, the Bible teaches us this, that on the night that Jesus was arrested and he was then taken to the cross the next day and he gave his life for the world, for the sins of the world, that on that night he had a meal prepared for he and his closest followers. And then after that meal was over, he took the, the bread that was there and he said, this bread represents my body, which is going to be broken for you. And I'm giving it freely so that you can find life. And he says, when you take this bread and you eat it, remember what I've done. Remember how I gave my best for you. And he picked up a cup and he said, this cup represents the, the, the new promise, the new covenant of God for the forgiveness of your sins, that if you will trust me, this blood that I shed on the cross will cleanse you of all your sins. It'll remove the the hindrance between you and a relationship with God and you're able to live in that personal relationship with God because God will forgive your sins. He says, when you drink this cup, remember me. See, the greatest motivation for us to give God our best is to be reminded that God gave his best to us first. Before we could ever give anything to God, God gave Jesus. And the motivation of why we give God our best is because he gave. Because he gave. And so this morning, what we're going to do is the band is going to play a song and we're going to respond. And I want to encourage you to seek God. Let God speak to you. God, what's holding me back? What do I need to let go of? But then as we do that, to come and to take the elements, the bread and the, the cup. If you're a follower of Jesus, these tables are open for you. We've got two on the side, two here at the front. And 
And this is all done in your time. So come and take the bread, take the cup. If you want to kneel at the front and pray and take the elements, go ahead. If you want to go back to your seat and do that, if you want to gather with uh, your family and you want to take those elements together, you're going to take them on your own in, in whatever time the, the God leads you to. But as you do that, be reminded of God's best today and that that's the motivation for why we should give our best. We stand as I pray. Father God, I thank you for your word. God, that you don't call us to give out of fear, compulsion, or God, guilt, but you call us to give joyfully and cheerfully, God, because you first gave to us. And God, as we remember your son, Jesus, as we take the bread and take the cup and we're reminded, God, that the greatest gift that could ever be given has already been given. And because of that, we can put our faith and trust in you. And God, I pray for anybody in this room today who has never put their faith and trust in your son, Jesus. They've never committed their life to him, been forgiven of their sin. God, I pray that if that's the desire of their heart in this moment, they would repeat this prayer in their heart right now. That they would say, dear Jesus, I admit to you that I'm not perfect. I admit to you that I'm a sinner. Jesus, forgive my sin. Cleanse my life. I commit my life to following you from this day forward. Thank you for saving me. Thank you for making me new. God, for those that prayed that prayer today, would you, God, meet them in this moment in a powerful way. And for all of us, God, would you remind us who you are. God, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Come take the elements.